The men who crewed the surviving steamships had invented their own legends. Tall tales, all blatantly untrue, and Guilford Law had heard most of them by the time the Odense passed the 15th meridian. A drunken deck steward had told him about the place where the two oceans meet, the old Atlantic of the Americas and the new Atlantic of Darwinia. The division, the steward said, was plain as a squall line and twice as treacherous. One sea was more viscid than the other, like oil, and creatures attempting the passage inevitably died. Consequently, the zone was littered with the bodies of animals both familiar and strange. Dolphins, sharks, roarquah whales, blue whales, anguillets, sea barrels, blisterfish, bannerfish. They floated in place, milky eyes agape, flank against flank and nose to tail. They were unnaturally preserved by the icy water, a solemn augury to vessels unwise enough to make the passage through their close and stinking ranks. Guilford knew perfectly well the story was a myth, a horror story to frighten the gullible, but like any myth, taken at the right time, it was easy to believe. He leaned into the tarnished rail of the Odense near sunset, mid-Atlantic. The wind carried whips of foam from a cresting sea, but to the west the clouds had opened and the sun raked long fingers over the water. Somewhere beyond the eastern horizon was the threat and promise of the new world. Europe transformed, the miracle continent the newspapers still called Darwinia. There might not be blisterfish crowding the keel of the ship, and the same salt water lapped at every terrestrial shore, but Guilford knew he had crossed a real border, his center of gravity shifting from the familiar to the strange. He turned away, his hands as chill as the brass of the rail. He was twenty-two years old and had never been to sea before Friday last. Too tall and gaunt to make a good sailor, Guilford disliked maneuvering himself through the shoulder-bruising labyrinths of the Odense, which had done yeoman duty for a Danish passenger line in the years before the miracle. He spent most of his time in the cabin with Caroline and Lily, or when the cold wasn't too forbidding, here on deck. The 15th meridian was the western extremity of the great circle that had been carved into the globe, and beyond this point he hoped he might catch a glimpse of some Darwinian sea life. Not a thousand dead anguillets tangled like a drowned woman's hair, but maybe a barrelfish surfacing to fill its lung sacs. He was anxious for any token of the new continent, even a fish, though he knew his eagerness was naive, and he took pains to conceal it from other members of the expedition. The atmosphere below decks was steamy and close. Guilford and family had been allotted a tiny cabin midships. Caroline seldom left it. She had been seasick the first day out of Boston Harbor. She was better now, she insisted, but Guilford knew she wasn't happy. Nothing about this trip had made her happy, even though she had practically willed herself aboard. Still, Walking into the room where she waited was like falling in love all over again. Caroline sat, with back arched at the edge of the bed, 
combing her hair with a mother-of-pearl brush, the brush following the curve of her neck in slow, meditative strokes. Her large eyes were half-lidded. She looked like a princess in an opium reverie, aloof, dreamy, perpetually sad. She was, Guilford thought, quite simply, beautiful. He felt, not for the first time, the urge to photograph her. He had taken a portrait of her shortly before their wedding, but the result hadn't satisfied him. Dry plates lost the nuance of expression, the luxury of her hair, seven shades of black. He sat beside her and resisted the urge to touch her bare shoulder above her camisole. Lately, she had not much welcomed his touch. "'You smell like the sea,' she said. "'Where's Lily?' "'Answering a call of nature.' He moved to kiss her. She looked at him, then offered her cheek. Her cheek was cool. "'We should dress for dinner,' she said.' 